it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry, and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is, and see what we can learn from them. And this week, we have a really fun conversation with Revel Brewing's new National Sales Manager, Hugh Doyle. Hugh has only recently started in this position, joining Revel after finishing with Stone & Wood, where he spent more than 11 years in senior sales roles. Prior to that, Hugh had a career in hospitality, managing and co-owning pub venues, including sometimes running a vodka bar, one of the legacies of the early 2000s, where he gained a wealth of knowledge and experience. As we always do, Hugh and I dig deeply into his career and what he has learned and what can be applied to the brewing industry from that. We also learn of his feelings around the sale of stone and wood and what made him choose his next role with Revel and where he thinks he can take that brand. It's a great chat loaded with valuable insights, and I hope you get as much from it as I did. Hugh Doyle, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Matt, thanks for having me. Matt, it was very hard getting the introduction uh, out because uh, to, to say Hugh Doyle and not Stone and Wood in the same sentence just seems a little bit unnatural. It's uh, it's it's funny. Uh, uh, for years, I've been referred to as Mister Stone and Wood when I walk into a bar, or yeah. So it's uh, it has been a large part chapter of, of my beer life. But um, I think the love of my beer definitely started a long, long time before that. Were you Stone and Wood's first Queensland employee? I'm just trying to. Get, we'll go back, but yep. I'm just uh, just to get that focus point. Yeah, I, I took over um, um, the reins from Ross Jurisic. Um, one of the founders, again. One of the founders, Stone yep. Wood, best known for the three founders, which is what we hear all of the time. Ross, uh, Jamie and Brad, um, masters of their arts, right? It's like a uh, a good um, bank robbing team. They all have their specialty. Ocean's <laughs> 11, <laughs> exactly. Ocean's 3. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. Um, um, I was running a hotel uh, in town, a hotel with a few of my friends we were in partnership with, and I'd host a lot of beer dinners, and this one beer dinner I hosted, um, um, Ross came up to me, and I was pretty, I was pretty tired. I was pretty tired from the, the hospitality industry as it gets to you, and he said, uh, geez, you, you, you look like crap. <laughs> and I said, Ross, thanks very much. <laughs> and, and he said, um, I said, Ross, I'm actually thinking of getting out of this industry and into sales. And he said, uh, he pondered on it for a, for a minute. He says, do you want a job? And I went, you serious? And this time, you know, Stonewood was this idolized brewery of, of every... So what year was this? Because they fit, launched in 2008. Yeah, 2012-ish. Okay, so they yeah. were just four years old then at that stage. Yeah. yeah. And, and he came to me and said, do you want a job? And pre- previous to that, I'd supported the brand and bought it in the pubs I'd, I'd, I'd worked at. And, you know, it was this... It was this you know, up and coming brewery that everyone wanted to have or have on tap and couldn't or had to wait, you know, vice versa. And anyway, he said to me, do you want a job? I said, I'd love a job. And he and I said, I was thinking about getting out of the industry anyway and, and going into sales, vodka. And he says, well, come work for me. Um, and the rest is history. And I was their third full-time employee um, at that time. Yeah. So... You you weren't specifically looking for a, a, a beer industry job. It was just the, the, the drinks industry. Which drinks industry. I love. You've been in the hotels industry before. Lo- that. Love hotels, hospitality, and both sides of the bar. It's a real real passion of mine. 
Uh, and at that time, yeah, I was looking for something new. And um, even to the point where I did start working with Stone and Wood, I think I even went back into hospitality and worked part time at the Story Bridge for Richard Deary again. I remember. Uh, I actually, I remember that when I, when you were there. So. I previously worked for him in a uh, in a past life before that, but yeah, went back because I was getting married around that time, and as you know, weddings aren't cheap, so I had to uh, all hands on deck to uh, raise the funds for that one coming down the line. <laughs> I, I should say, anyone that's hearing, we are at uh, Revel Brewing, um, and so you will be hearing a few planes in the background. It's on the flight path to, 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 to the airport. But uh, so, Yui, let, let's go back. Um, we'll talk about your time at Stone and Wood and now uh, at Revel. But what was your start in the? You know, what, what did you do when you leave school? Did you go straight into hospitality? Was that yeah. your first job? Yeah, it was a real, real good question. Uh, you know, for me. Um, I'd always loved hospitality and, and, and beers and, and pubs and um, I was previously working in retail, um, uh, big W of all places when I left school and um, I remember saying to the, uh, the area manager at Big W, uh, I said, I'm thinking about getting out of um, uh, retail and into hospitality and he says, oh, that'll be the end of you, I'll never see you again <laughs> and he was right. But there's one thing I did learn back in that day and it's something I still hold truth today on how I operate is... Um, it's a golden rule in retail and it translates through all of retail is, you know, retail is detail. So I was drilled in at an early age that retail is detail, pushing all the items forward on the hook and making sure everything looked great because people like to shop at something that's shoppable and detailed looking, mm. right? But besides that, yeah, I, I, uh, I got out of um, retail and um, started working as a, uh, a glassy in hospitality um, in Irish bars in, in Brisbane. Okay. <laughs> Is it retail is detail, or you know, what 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 did you learn in as a glassy in an uh, Irish? Bar? I think it's a it's a great um, uh, way to start the industry, and and definitely a great way to um, earn your stripes before you go to the next level. You know, people say either start as a a dishy or a, a glassy, or you know, eventually I, I had my, my I strive to be in a management sort of position and 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 run bars myself. But that's where I sort of started, and. Um, uh, I think I did that for about a year and then uh, decided to go back to um, Ireland, uh, which is where I'm from originally. So I'm, I'm an Irishman with a very funny accent. <laughs> so if, if, if there's any rugby union going on, it's, I'm always backing the Irish. <laughs> Let's hear uh, the, the accent you revert to when you're back home. Uh, it, it doesn't come like that. It's, it, you've got to be around the right circumstances. Okay. If I'm, uh, with relatives or family or maybe after a few pints, you might get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can't turn it on. But you'll get the little twangs here and there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I went back to Ireland and and I think I almost bluffed my way through um, hospitality there. They said, what's your, what's your experience? And you've got to remember, I've, I've only had glassy experience. And I think I said to them, yeah, I've done cocktail bars, I've run pubs, I've done this, I've done that. And uh, they threw me into deep end. And, um, you know, you, you can bluff your way a certain, a certain amount of the way and it, it kind of works. And I, and I got my first bar job working in a bar in Black Rock, which is a... Um, really great pub in, in in Dublin City so yeah was there for about a year and and then did a bit of traveling and worked in other sort of restaurants and bars as well uh, five five star hotel the Radisson in Dublin as well mm-hmm. um, and that was an experience so for me you know uh, the thirst of hospitality was definitely there um, and then I sort of uh, decided that um, it was time to come back to Australia and I really wanted to study hospitality and that was a real beginning for me to sort of come back to Australia and um, 
start start the journey, right? So how did you study? Did you formal study or yeah. on the job study? Yeah, it was um, uh, formal study. So it was hospitality diploma degree uh, at TAFE Queensland uh, that went on to a marketing degree as well. So um, it was a real passion of mine that I always wanted to do is to study. I had dreams of going to um, the Blue Mountains College of Hospitality as well. Um, and this is sort of the way it sort of turned out. Went overseas and did earn my stripes and did my sort of external learning to bring it all back in and um, go back and study. And uh, it was around the time of what, of the Y2K bug as well. So I didn't want to make sure I was stuck over in Ireland. If, I, if the Y2 bug was going to hit, I wanted to make sure I was stuck in Australia. I was in Italy when the Y2... Uh, you know, a lot of our listeners won't even know what that was. But, you know, when the, the world was going to end and we yeah. weren't going to be able to get cash and planes were going to fall yeah. out of the sky no because... No one could tell uh, the time after midnight. Yeah, all, all of that. So it was... It, it was it, it's hard to think back um, to, to that time. Yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, it was a almost almost part pop culture rather than fear, wasn't it? <laughs> but the fear was real, yeah. like it really was. But uh, so so you came back. So you 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 did your study, and yeah. uh, what was your first uh, hospitality job uh, uh, as a as a graduate? Um, yeah. Well, I came back and, and started again back in Irish bars again at, at PJ O'Brien's, which you might remember it in, in remember the Brisbane that. city. Yep. And it was a time of Brisbane hospitality when there there wasn't really much going around. Um, there was the underground. Um, parts of the valley that had their nightclubs going on and it wasn't the variety of clubs or bars or hotels that we had today and you know I was reminiscing recently on the amount of numbers that people would get through that building and it was anywhere between two and four thousand people over a weekend which is absolutely huge for a small hotel pub bar of that size uh, you might some people might remember it from being the old Transformers building as well back in the day I'm trying to think, what street was it on? It uh, was Charlotte Street. Charlotte Street, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I started and then worked my way through to um, bar management there as well, and yeah. And I, I, I'm trying to think, I think we first met when you were working in James Street at the uh, Queen's Arms. That was the Queen's Arms. So I, I'd gone through a, a, a journey of um, multiple bars, Irish bars, and I think even before that, I'd done a short stint at the uh, the vodka bar as well that came out to Brisbane. Was that the ice bar? The where ice you, bar, mate. Okay, that's. I, I've never actually met anyone that was involved in that, but that was about the time that I started writing about the drinks industry, and yeah. I often compare elements of the craft beer industry to these things that wash through the industry, and you know, mm. there, there was suddenly you're getting media stories about these vodka bars where they were refrigerated bars where you were given a fur coat and charged a fortune to, to and you know, sitting on ice and mm. things like that. And they were gone in about five minutes. The investment in those places must have been huge. Look, this thing, Matt, was next level. And when I heard about it, I was like, I need to be part of this. No matter what happens, I need to find a way to be part of this, uh, this whole, this whole uh, organization. And Michael Hayde, God rest his soul. He's passed away since then. He was the sort of brains behind it. It didn't and kill him, did it? Like the no, 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 no. <laughs> um, uh, and, 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 and what it was, he had a love for, for vodka. Uh, he, his past career was spent in Poland at, at the time, um, running a few businesses. But to sort of cut a long story short, um, this bar was a, a, a vodka bar solely um, focused on vodkas from all over the world. You know, 200, 300 vodkas in this bar. And there was an element of a public attending a public bar, but there was also this element of a private club membership bar. And the club membership, you know, it was it was it was a lot of money that you couldn't, um, not many people could really afford to, to pay. Um, and, and part of the membership that you get is you get access any time of the operating time of the the business to this private chill room, 
where you had your own vodkas locked in there and you'd wear these exquisite mink coats <laughs> and mink hats and they'd dial the temperature down and you'd be drinking uh, shots of vodka. No, no other way, just shots because that's how they do it. Uh, and that's the first place I actually learned how to drink vodka properly was um, when you drink vodka, you, you should always shoot it and the higher you raise your elbow uh, to the person you're drinking with is the most the, the, the amount of respect you have for them. So... You know, the higher the elbow, the most respect you've got for the person you're drinking okay. with. And always keep eye contact with them when you're drinking as well. So it's etiquette of drinking vodka, But, right? it, but the etiquette of drinking beer, when you say cheers, yeah. you're meant to look somebody in the eyes. It's mm -hmm. just a, yeah. a courtesy. Yeah, it's courtesy, right? So so this thing was just next level. But it also sounds, so, but in that case, it doesn't just sound like courtesy. It sounds like a hell of a lot of wank as well. Or a lot of drinking and a lot of looking at each other in the eyes. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and this, this thing, like we had members from all over Brisbane and people from all different industries... Um, you name it, uh, and they were all wanting to be part of this. So that was a really exciting time, and I think the only demise of that venue was it was probably a little bit too early for Brisbane. You know, and and the next problem was Brisbaneites hate climbing upstairs. They hate going upstairs to a venue. It's just a never works. Okay. You know, all, all over the world, you can do rooftop bars, and I know that an elevator changes everything, but to sort of go up a stairs to a level in a shopping precinct where the bar was uh, at McGuirdo's, I think that was a challenge for people. Really? Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That's it. I've never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we fought new, uh, you know, for ages to get staircase directly to the venue and we couldn't get it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you think it was too early? Because, again, looking at the world of products, um, you know, and, and this isn't Brisbane specific, but, you know, is vodka interesting enough to build that concept around? I know one person can love it, mm. but is vodka which you know the strength of vodka is it such a neutral spirit that has the best vodkas have no flavor so mm -hmm. if you've got the best vodkas from around the world you've mm -hmm. got competing products that have nothing i would imagine to distinguish between them apart from the story that you tell mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that a, a fair oh i think i think vodka you're right doesn't have flavor but it opened my, my eyes this this business when we started is the amount of flavors of vodka that people do make. And there was hundreds of different flavors of vodka. There was bison grass vodka. There was, you know, there was coffee vodka. There was, okay. There was all type vodkas. But I think again, you know, vodka is a safe spirit as well. And it, it can be a base to many drinks that can taste like something else. So you just didn't sip vodka in this place? The, no, the whole bar was based around vodka as, as its ethos. But okay. There was cocktails and there was a restaurant, there was wine, okay. it was a great kitchen. Was, so you weren't yeah. going to get a gin martini, for example? You're frowned upon if you want a gin martini in a vodka bar, right? <laughs> okay, no. Get just, out. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> Yeah, so you know that that was that was a really exciting time for me, and and I and I, and I loved being every part, uh, loved being part of it. Uh, and after that, sort of yeah, things sort of changed and went on to do a few different things. And I think last time, um, first time we met, correct, was at uh, the Queen's Arms in the Fortune Valley. Uh, I stayed there for about three years doing a stint. I'd worked another some other pubs before then, um, but this was sort of uh, Chris Condon was the uh, publican of that of that establishment, and and. Um, Gave me a, a chance to uh, to um, make my mark on that venue, and and again, you know, a great learning curve for me um, running that pub. You know, I was really into beer. I, I loved beer, and it was a time where there wasn't much beer to order, or to to to, to there wasn't wasn't many craft breweries around where you had today's you know six hundred odd breweries offering you 
a variety of different beer categories, there was very little. And to stand out, you had to be really tricky and careful and, and, and ahead of everyone else to get the next beer. And I think at a time for me, you know, we had Budvar there on tap and Budvar was the, you know, the greatest pilsner in, in, in the world, right? For, for, to me, it was. Oh, absolutely. And, and I remember that time. And, you know, again, I remember Chris and, you know, I was doing beer events in those days, beer mm. tastings. I think that was when we first met because you were looking at hosting some beer, beer events at the yeah. same and beer dinners. And, uh, but at the same time, Chris is a bloke that's got an eye for a dollar. And uh, it it was a huge lesson to me, even sort of dealing with you, because craft brewers were small brewers. They didn't have a lot of money. They were looking for the chance to get their their, their product out there. And yet it was always, well, how many cartons of beer are you going to donate for this dinner and and that sort of thing, which most of the brewers back in those days, we were going 2008. By this stage, are we? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, 2000, probably, no, 2010, 11, I Okay, guess. even later, okay. Yeah, 2008 would have been more of my StoryBridge days, yep. earning the apprenticeship okay. in the earlier days. But uh, and, 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 and Chris was a great publican, you know. He mm. um, he knew the value of, of offering um, uh, other services such as your everyday MO on just opening the pub, you know. Beer dinners were important. It was a marketing exercise for the venue. Yep. We didn't charge too much for the tickets, so mm. arguably we didn't really make much money off the tickets either. It was just a, a a good reason to put an event on to to create awareness on a the pub does really good beer and has a good variety mm. of beer and cares about beer, and you know the food is food is also something we cared about as well. So matching those two together was pretty important, right? That was really the showcase mm. of those events, yeah. But it was also a challenge uh, again, you know, when, when you look at the wheels within wheels that is the brewing industry. Offering variety to people with a range of interesting craft beers was one of the objects of those sorts of things. Yeah. But then the brewers, you know, want the exposure on the night, but then they would also like to have the you know, long tail of the sales going forward yeah. and getting a tap. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris was always locked in with the, 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 the big guys, so the dinners would be held, uh, and not just Chris, but publicans uh, generally. Yeah. They'd have a, a beer dinner, but then there often wasn't the longer-term outcome for, for smaller brewers, which is one of the real balancing acts. Yeah, that and you're right, balancing balancing that uh, expectations of your suppliers and and, and your your um uh, your brewers is an important piece. We were really good then. We, we we make sure we partnered up with breweries that we were either doing business with or had room to showcase them for at least a month or, or a few months. Or yeah, I think every time we host an event, everyone had a good shot at it. You know, the the Budvar event. I think we did a we did a, an international beer German with all different German beers and um, there were many times we'd, we'd chosen Coopers for another event. Um, uh, this is really all we had to deal with back then, right? There wasn't much to deal with. Um, and around that time, again, we can't forget that Archive had started around the same time as well and they, they too were also pioneers of um, craft movement within Brisbane too. So there was... They were the first to go big. Yeah, we can have a debate about this because I don't think they were actually pioneering anything. No. They were the first to really see the potential for it and go large. Yes. And I actually, again, I, I, I think in a lot of ways they damaged the culture because it was a nightclub that had just about every beer they could get. There wasn't much of a focus on service or knowledge um, going across the bar mm. um, and... You know, the, the, the staff weren't necessarily trained. There was a lot of swagger, not always a lot of service. Yeah, and, and you know, everyone perceives... Again, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, yeah, that's my and perception. Every, and everyone perceives it very very differently. Mm. And I think, for me, I, I always saw the beer movement with all the pubs around that time. 
it was kind of it was kind of new territory for everyone. There mm. was starting to be a lot of variety, and I thought Archive didn't do a bad job. Uh, in fact, um, for us at, at the Queen's Arms, you know, we didn't have the luxury they had. Yeah. To your point, I mean, able to showcase all these magnificent breweries. We, you know, we only had a few floating taps. So, mm. for us at the, at the Queen's Arms, where we had the chance to showcase something, that's why we we made a big effort of it. Uh, if the floating tap was there, well, we we wanted to invite the brewery yep. in to to showcase a dinner. So yeah, yeah. And then uh, you, you had your own venue at the time you started Stone and Wood. And yeah. that was in George Street. George in, Street, in the city. Yeah, yeah. So it was around um, the time of the uh, the GFC. So I, I, I've always had this dream and aspiration, and uh, and I still do to this day. You know, I, I want to get back into the game again, and and I do in many ways um, still. Um, but back then, it, it was an opportunity came my way with a couple of mates that we were going to open this gastro pub uh, in the in the centre of the city, the old um, George on George. Uh, before that, it was the Little Jumbo, and yep. then um, for us, yeah, we were going to call it the Villager, where it was solely based on on gastro pub style food and a higher sort of class of of, of price point offering, uh, but great quality. We had some great chefs that worked with this. Um, again, we did the whole theme dinners, the wine dinners, the beer dinners. But I think what happened to us uh, in our journey of that business was it was a time of the GFC. Mm. Uh, and that's when, you know, we were in the public sector into the CBD where 9,000 people lost their jobs at that time. So for us, it was like, you know, our bread and butter was pretty much not missing. One, one day it was there and the next week it was all gone. And it was a great venue. Like, again, I, uh, I'll sort of talk about archive but um it was a great venue and the, the food the, the beer matching the, yeah the, the, the service was yeah. all of that again gastro pub is a word that's used all the time these days yeah. but it was one of the first pubs in those days that wasn't going pokies um driven it was hospitality focused and food focused all and about all of, hospitality all of those yeah. Things, yeah you know duck liver parfait who, who doesn't like that <laughs> <laughs> And it's great with beer. Yeah. So, you know, and we, we, we did a late night supper club as well upstairs yep. and and we we, we you know, we had a, a, a great caliber of, of, of people come through that building and good talent. Mm. Uh, and, and and the liquor and, and the beer and the spirits that we, 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 we used um, were some great class as well, you know. We had some great, great products come through that business too. And unfortunately, yeah, the the the, the economy um, caught up with us or, or, or the industry itself and you know, um, we, we probably should have pivoted a bit um, back what then. Back, have, back then, what, pivot wasn't a word. <laughs> what, what do you think you should have pivoted to? Uh, so I mean, going from a really yeah. high class, you know, so not. And I'm, I shouldn't say high class. It was pub food elevated, Correct. as opposed to being pretentious or anything Correct. like that. And on there a was, casual dining yeah. sort of basis. Yeah. yeah, I think for us, you know, it would have been great. And we, and we don't get me wrong, we did try it in, in certain elements, and whether it was the right timing or not. But arguably, you know, when it comes to a time when you have an offering like that, you, you, you kind of have to take it. You kind of have to take a hit on margin if you're going to pivot mm. your business. So, you know, just decrease the, the margin we're, we're, we're wanting to make and, and and sort of dumb down the offering slightly. You know, I think after us, a burger bar came through the place and and it worked well for for a period of time. Mm. And you know, maybe our offering just needed to be sort of less high priced and and sort of more user friendly, sort of pub style. Um, and, and, and there was an opportunity to do that, but we just, you know, time, time wasn't on our side and yeah. How much was having just the one venue and, you know, you see some of the successful operators, you know, are running multiple venues these days and, you know, defraying costs, getting better, you know, supplier deals, I'd imagine. Um, you know, how important is scale even in a small little venue like that? Look, it's funny and scale in venues is very different to scale in breweries, right? Yeah. And, and, and 
I guess the there's certain elements of, uh, and and this is probably me seeing this externally from a supplier to a venue when I see venue scale. Um, there's multiple elements. Some business and groups are great at doing it, and they're smart at doing it. Mm. Then again, you see sometimes we get groups or or, or, or venue operators <laughs> where I call it chasing the dragon. So they've got one venue that's pumping. It's excellent. Everyone wants to be there. Yep. Starts to die off and it's not the flavor of the month anymore. What do I do next? Let's take on another leasehold, start another venue and see how that goes for a while. And it's like a domino effect. They, yep. I could be, you, I could be, you could see them carrying the debt and they're all they're trying to do is just constantly chase that dragon of revenue to prep up either business beforehand or, or, or ongoing. So, you know, the, the scale is good if it's controlled. And the operators knows what they're doing, but then there's that element of scale where where you see too many people too many people grow too big too fast, at the demise of um, carrying too much debt. Right? There's a couple of things I'd like to pull out of just even the stories you've told so far, and even even that one, and that is timing. You know, you, you talked about the vodka bar; it was yeah. too soon. The timing for for your venue was happened during the GFC. Yeah. Um, venues that are going along really well. But then they go, you yeah. know. So even a, a cool hip venue that's at the right time, yeah. that time can can pass. Hos- yeah. I mean, hospitality is hard when timing can be so variable and and timing can be so capricious. Yeah, and I think um, hospitality you've got to have it in your set sort of plan that you have to reinvent yourself. I think it's important that a venue you know, it needs to reinvent itself every three to five years. I think you've got to put that, you have to put that in your budget. Your venue has to have some sort of shake up after a period of time. Because to your point, yes, nothing ever really stays the same, does it? And I, I think even now in an Instagram social media world where you're constantly being bombarded with new mm. and novel and listicles that talk about the newest places, mm. you need to give people a reason to come back. Mm. And the same thing, as, as much as we love the same dish on a menu, we hate it when it goes, but that's not the thing that will bring us back the next time. And and you ask yourself, what are those things that bring mm. you back? And it's pretty simple, right? It's you've got to have good service and, and memorable service. Um, got to be value. You've got to feel like you don't care how much you pay sometimes as long as you're you're happy with what you've got, right? If, I always say I don't mind buying a nice steak as long as it tastes bloody great. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with that, right? Um, and I think, you know, it's 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 more than just the venue itself. It's it's the offerings, and uh, a good analogy I might relate to that is, and it probably steps into the into the beer world. And there was a time in my life with Stone and Wood where people would say, oh, "I'm not going to put Pacific Ale on because it's, it's in the bar popular. next door." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. said, "Come on now, you can't be kidding me, really." I said, "I said that, that that's not the case." You know, there was there was I used to call it the Bermuda Triangle in 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 West End of, of Pacific Ale, and it was three bars. Um, the boundary. Um, archive and um, rumpus room. So between the three venues, you know, over my time of, of Stone and Wood, never once did any of these venues complain about volume dropping. Mm. In fact, it went completely the opposite. So I'd say to these venues that would say to me, I can't put Pacific Ale on because Joe Bloggs has got up the road. And I said, well, for once, we've never given to you exclusively. <laughs> sorry, sorry we didn't get that right. Uh, we didn't communicate that right. But I say people come to your venue not just because of the beer you pour or because you've got Pacific Ale or not. People come to your venue for multiple reasons. A, it's the venue. They come to you because your venue and what you've got on offering to that is secondary. So it's not just the Pacific Ale, it's the service, it's the wine, it's the food, it's everything put together. Yes, one of them strengthens the other 
and gives a whole a whole offering, but it's not the sole reason why people come to your venue. So I used to love having these great debates and arguments with customers of mine and saying, well, I'm not putting the Pacific Air on. Well, just try because I'm, I'm going to tell you wrong. It's it's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've given me two things we'll come back to uh, because we'll, we'll, we'll come back to what, uh, you know, freshening up means for craft breweries that have now been operating for three to five years. And we'll also come back to, uh, to, to that and whether beer draws people or you should give them the, the beer that they want. But... After you um, had your own venue, that was when you met Ross Jurisic yeah, and uh, yeah. became uh, you know, a Stone and Wood employee. Had had you ever done alcohol sales? Never before, no. So what did you learn? Because and, and Ross is yeah talking about people with superpowers or people with yeah. um, he, skills. He, 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 he has he, mad he, he's sales captain, skills. He's Captain Salesman, right? Mm. Um, and and he, I remember he said to me, he said. I learned a lot from those three guys. I was very lucky to learn a lot from all the, from all those those boys and that and my journey at Stone and Wood. And, and and Ross had multiple lessons for me. And um, first thing he said, he said, uh, you know, he gave me this really large account. And he said, Hugh, don't fuck it up. There's <laughs> <laughs> no pressure there. Excuse, I shouldn't be swearing. Sorry, sorry, That's okay. Sorry, kids. There, um, are, there, there are some uh, <laughs> people driving their kids to school at the moment, but. Um, They're learning about business as yeah, well. Yeah, and I, I said to myself, I said, oh, no pressure here. Uh, and then I think two weeks later, he came back to me and said, Hugh, you picked this up all right. You, you're going all right. <laughs> and I said, I said, Ross, it's not it's not rocket science. And it really isn't. Um, I think people overcomplicate things and make things harder than they should. It's not rocket science. In, in But there are still very, very important you know, skills involved. It's, it's certainly right. something that I can't do. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's something that I just do not have that innately in me as yeah. a personality trait to be yeah, able to do an, it. What's the analogy I use? Uh, you know, monkeys can do lots of things, right? But only certain monkeys go to the moon, right? <laughs> so that's the analogy I sort of use okay. in, that, in that example. And for me, you know, it, 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 it isn't an overcomplicated game, you know. And, and for me, I reflected on what it was like when I was running pubs and the reps in the business or the companies who I like to do business with as opposed to companies or people I didn't like to do business with. And what with. set them apart? Really simple. And it, it's the golden rule. Uh, a rep that would come into you and say, yeah, you need to do this. You're missing this. Tick, tick, tick. Why is that not on tap? This, this, this. You know, you should be doing this for me. It's kind of polar opposite to a rep that would come in and say, what can I do for you? You know, how can I better your business? You know, have I got anything that entices you? Does this work or does this not work? It's that rep that would always, you know, if you needed something, you could go to them. So it's mm -hmm. kind of reversed, right? It's the rep that would always do something for you mm -hmm. rather than the venue having to do something for the rep. And that's the golden rule. I think, you know, there's so many suppliers um, that venues can have. You know, we kind of need the venues more more than they need us. Does that make sense? Yep. And it's important that if you're going to do business or offer a service, that you, 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 it's something that they're going to want, need, and, and not forget. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's the simplicity of, of you know, in, in all my sales calls and, and still to this day, I make an important part of the meeting to say, is there anything that I'm not doing for you to date or is there anything you'd like me to do for you moving forward? You know, or is there an area of your business that you need help in that we can assist? And it's 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 a simple gesture, or and it's got to come from a genuine place, and it does. But it's 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 using your own business to help someone else's, and that's what we're in the game for, right? Give me some examples of that, because 2012, when you started um, at Stone and Wood, they were still pretty small. It's it's hard to believe a time when Stone and Wood was small, mm. um, but 
you know, in, in, in 2012, I remember, um, you know, that would have been around the time that I, I think a, a big part of the Stone and Wood uh, advertising budget was spent on Brews News. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think they were one of the first breweries to uh, approach us uh, and how can we support you and, you know, we don't have much, but here's, here's uh, an ad. And, and, and Stone and Wood as a business and the three boys all, always had a lot of admiration for Brews News and yourself, Matt. So, you know, and, and, and I think that goes to show where their ethos is and, and how they operate is they, they understand who's important to the greater cause. and, and, and They always saw themselves that the industry is bigger than them and correct. supporting the industry as well. It's that whole, you, need, you mm. know, that whole that you I, need me more than I... I yeah, I, I, was, I was recounting that story not to sort of solicit praise, but thanks, <laughs> but thank you. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to sort of seem ingrateful. But the, the, the point I was making is that, you know, we remember when Stone and Wood had money and was everywhere. Mm. Um, not, uh, well, had the appearance of money, I should say. But yeah. in, in 2012, 2013, when you were starting, when a, a venue, when, when you say that you should ask how you can help a venue, it's yeah. not giving them huge discount. And quite often you didn't have beer to sell them. No. Um, and that's one of the stories that a lot of accounts have spoken about those times. And, you know, you always made sure that they got some. And that was one thing, Ross, another uh, sort of uh, learning curve that Ross sort of brought me in on when I first started is this year, you're going to have to get used to saying no. And, and he's right. And I think every brewery, probably needs to do a few lessons on this because it really helps you manage the greatest issue of all um, doing business with everyone is managing expectations, right? That's probably the hardest challenge of, of a sales relationship is managing expectations when trumps are up or down mm. vice versa, right? And it's, and it's, it's having that self-awareness to be able to humbly say no without coming across um, arrogant because that's the first reaction a venue is going to get when you tell them, sorry, we're just not making enough beer, and we'd love to give you beer, but we can't. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if, who signs off for sales to sell nothing? <laughs> <laughs> what are some some of the other things you learned uh, in, in your time at, at Stone and Wood? Yeah. In, in terms of sales and relationships uh, with, with with venues, a big learning for me was, and both Jamie, Brad, and Ross were testament to this. And you know, Jamie used to say all the time that a, 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 a brewery serves a purpose in the community um, and, and you know making beer is great but it's it's what we do is, as, as a force for good with that beer is what, what matters mm -hmm. and it's 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 true as as um, as sort of um, old-fashioned or as basic as breweries would have been back in the early days you know you had your local butcher baker uh, brewery they were part of the community and I think reliving the romance of that or or arguably bringing it back into the into the gameplay as a brewery that you're not just selling beer you're not just offering a beer on tap or doing beer dinners but your your purpose is so, is a lot larger and greater than that and it's giving back to the community and that's easy to say when you're a brewery that's supplying 2 to 3 hours you know drive from from the brewery stonewood obviously grew much larger than that mm. how did the business stay part of the community as you know the, the community became further as that community became bigger yeah uh through through multiple sort of um um exercise we we, we built the engraved foundation which was giving back to the community for every hectolitre we brewed we donated a dollar and then throughout the years or the evolution of the business um we would give back to the local community or, or fundraisers or or, or or certain industry bodies in need and 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 i think um 
yeah, there was a time when when the big hurricanes happened and we donated um, back to to a lot of the local islands off the coast of, of Australia and we didn't even tell anyone. Mm. It was something that we all agreed on a business to do. And you know, there was times in that business where um, we used to get a couple of cartons a month as staff allowance and the business would put back on, on, on the rest of the, the staff, you know, we're going to donate this much money to this organisation or this cause, it, it's in dire need. And if you want to contribute your, your, your cartons for the month as well, um, we'll donate the, 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 the money equivalent to your cartons as well. And, and it'd be amazing that not one, not one person in the business said no. So I think it's, 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 to answer your question, how how are the processes behind it, and how do you how do you live it and 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 breathe it? It comes down to building the idea and and the focus on, on the reason why you want to give back to the community, and I think it's it's finding the right channels to do that, which the guys did uh, through the Ingrained Foundation, but it's hiring the right people within the business that also breathe and 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 reflect that in their everyday life, I guess as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I will get emails because, uh, again, we, we do need to get to uh, your, your current job. Otherwise, uh, you, 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 your bosses will be un- unhappy. Um, but I, I will get emails if I don't ask. Um, you know, how, how did you find out? As somebody who was a very proud ambassador um, for Stone and Wood and all of the, 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 the ethos um, that it embodied, how did you find out about the, the plans to sell to, uh, to, to Lion? How did I find out? And that's a very, very good question, Matt. And I was waiting for something like this. All right. How did I find out? Uh, we were all called in uh, one morning um, to the brewery. Also, because I, I take it, were you part of the employee share program or as a really early employee, did you have a, a separate? Um, um, yeah, we were, every employee was part yeah. of, of, of a share program. So at Stone and Wood, when you start working for the business, um, every year you get allocated a certain amount of shares. Um, um, for your time, you get to choose yes or no, whether you take those shares. Um, and as years go by, your dividends pay off the interest-free loan and yada, yada, yada. And um, and it was a great way to, certainly for me, it, it definitely motivated me. Never did I think that the brewery was ever going to sell out. Mm. But I knew at some point, if I ever wanted to leave, that the work I put in kind of mattered, right? Yep. There was something at the end of it. Uh, you, you couldn't, for transparency, you couldn't leave the shares in the business when, when you left. So to answer the question, when I found out, we all got called into um, every brewery site. And for me, it was the one in Brisbane in the Fortune Valley. Um, something didn't seem right uh, because I, I remember receiving a phone call from you in the morning. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all right, what's <laughs> well, going I've on here? I've been getting texts all night. So, and... Yes. So I knew something was in the waters, right? We could all. You, we, so you had no inklings, hand look, on heart. You had no inklings beforehand. Look, none of us did, right? Okay. It was, it was, um, and, and and the business for obvious reasons had to keep those cards mm. close to the chest. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it was a pretty serious business course, deal, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and there were shareholders involved, and other than just staff. So, yes, to answer your question, it was a, it was a very sudden sort of uh, announcement, and and still to this day, I um, I remember sitting in that room thinking wow, it's happening. And then I was in denial thinking, well, maybe it's only part of it's happening and we still get to keep some of it. And yeah, there was a, it, it, it was a, um, it was 10 years of my life. You think for those boys, it was, for them, it was longer. It was 13, 14 years of their life mm. and 10, 10, 11 years of mine. Like that's a decade. Of, I've never worked a decade in the business ever in my life. And having dealt with you, like not financially invested, but you were 
personally, you know, in, in, invest in the business. Mate, I, I knew every day I woke up, went to work, that I that I was making a, a, an impact on the business, and I enjoyed doing it, right? And you know, that's why I was known as Mister Stonewood around yeah. Brisbane because you know I really love the business, and it's like any business I work for. It's I, I become you know one hundred percent part of it, and I I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. But for me, yeah, it was definitely a shock, uh, and, and, and you know. Also, a time to reflect on what a great journey. And I said this to someone the other day, Matt. They had a going away party for me at the brewery. Uh, several going away parties. They never stopped. It's happened to me. Worked somewhere for ten years, and we like to celebrate the wins. Um, and, and and I said to everyone in the room, I said, guys, it doesn't matter where the brewery goes, right? It doesn't matter who owns it. I think what matters is we all got a chance to work together and be part of something really freaking cool, like. It was, but of course, that wasn't the story that was being told in the years leading up to that. It wasn't sort of, "Hey, we've no." Got that's a great- my story. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's your story. Yeah. But but uh, it, uh, you know, had you bought in to to, to the mission and and the and the vision? You know, was it a sort of you know, like like all? Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, mm-hmm, but um, mm-hmm. you know, all grief. You go through those stages of grief. Of you go through the. Um, uh, um, the, the the chasm of um, denial and um, yeah yeah you go through it all and I think you know you're right everyone does experience it differently mm. and everyone perceives what happened very differently uh, and for me I, I I really mean it Matt you know it's um to be part of something like that over the last ten years is something that I'll never forget and I think a lot of people in that business won't forget either you know we weren't just selling beer it was it was a, it was a, it was a movement you know mm. people joked what, part, what cult are you part of you know like <laughs> we really had a great time and and were seen as you know beacons in the industry mm. like people look to us for guidance arguably you know i remember at baronia place you know we were operating beer out of there three million liters out of an 800 square meter site no other, tell me another brewery in Australia mm. that's done that. You know, we had people coming to us going, how is this possible? I know it, it was hard work and brewers worked 24-7 around the clock and it was it was bloody hard work, right, for those those guys and, and all of us. But we did it, right? Um, there's not many operations that can pull that off, right? But you do that because you believe in something bigger than just the, 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 the day-to-day. You know, we, we all have to invest ourselves and, and believe in something bigger. Yeah. You know, what, what 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 was it that yeah and and, and I used to I, I I couldn't pick it I I I I've worked in, in the beer industry for for years hospitality both sides right and still to this day working for that business I I couldn't get over how much value giving a carton of Pacific Ale to someone behind the bar as a gift or reward or even just to say you know thank you for everything you've done for me or here this is for me this the, their eyes would light up you know you get, you know back in the day you give someone a carton of whatever, I won't say it, but something that's probably more mainstream and every, everyone drinks, you know, you don't get the same reaction. You know, people genuinely loved this brand and they loved, they had a passion for it, just ourselves and our drinkers, right? And I think, is that again, is that, you know, what, what was different? I think we connected well with our drinkers as well. That's something else that Stonewood did really well. Yeah. You, you stayed with the company for... 12 odd months after uh, after the sale was it's funny how i still say we isn't it yeah <laughs> but but you you stayed with the company for 12 odd months after the yeah. uh, after the sale was were you identified as one of the key staff that 
you know, had a retention um, bonus to, to, to stay on? So, um, not, not that I'm aware of. So, we're basically, we're, 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 the whole idea of that business was part of the deal structure when the boys sold it was um, staff were to retain within the business for 24 months. And you know what? What a great move. Mm. I think what an excellent way to slowly synergize or smooth out any natural kinks that are going to happen between a corporate a corporate business and a, yeah. an independent business it takes time right can, can you imagine ripping the band-aid off straight away mm. what that what that could do and I think it was very smart for both parties to agree on that yep um, something to take away from that you know Bolter have done the same thing with, with CEB there's a there's a full trade out as well so I think you know what what a, what what a, what a great agreement to to fall back on that there was that but were you part of that was the whole the of, whole business was yep. part of that two year sort of transition mm, right yeah, okay. yeah yeah which was great right yep. it all gave us time to it gave us time to to to, to think and reflect right because <laughs> what is next well because two years comes to an end right mm, whether you like it or not yep. yeah yeah absolutely but. Um, some people or stayed some on people, post or, or, or some people want, will, will naturally want to stay on. Yeah. Correct, yeah. And, and some people which is have. also a great opportunity. And and uh, now that you're working for Revel, uh, which yep. is a great independent brewery in yep. uh, Brisbane, I presume. Just in uh, Balimba <laughs> and Combsley, <laughs> two great brewery sites. But one of the first things that you said when uh, you, you told me you were leaving was, you know, because I've always had a passion for the small breweries yeah. and, and, that, yeah. and that's always – so independence obviously mattered to you on you some know, level. You know, and, and, and I know, I know um, we, we, we had our twos and fro's on, on, on that and, 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 and I think, you know, in, indie does matter to me and mm. I, think, I think it always mattered to me. You've got to remember – that I never had, I never had a choice to sell Stone and Wood. So, oh no, I, I, and, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, 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 no, but I'm not saying, please, I'm not saying that. I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm no, 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 go no, because no, I'm just exploring. And, and you're not, and, and I've, I, and you're certainly not giving a go. But yeah. I've, I've got to, I've got to give good reasons why, right? Well, uh, again, and you know, for, for the listeners that don't know the, the backstory, you know, clearly Hugh and I have um, worked together uh, over a long period of time, and you know, we, we've often butted heads. You know, when, when I've been well, never in a bad together. way, well, ne- never in a bad way. No. But it, when when your job is to sell Stone and Wood, and, my and your job, job is, is to, to challenge to do something. But even um, I'm thinking of you know the, the the thing I do at the exhibition each year, where yeah. you know I was trying to manage a variety of brewers' interests and be fair by everybody, yep. and you had. The stone and wood point of view to, yeah. to to put, and you know, I also had to balance. Yeah, you know, there, there was some line involvement. There were other yeah. independents, yeah. and you know, you were always pushing stone <laughs> and wood, and you know, then uh, after the sale, it was well, you know, we should still be on, even though we're not independent. We we're still we're be on because we still have that community connection, right? Yeah. And, and I think my, my, my rebuttal to you was, man, I'm a salesman. I'm, and, uh, and it's that's my job. job. It's my job. <laughs> no, and I, 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 you know, that's the thing, you know. Should we trust salesmen when they tell us well, this I, matters? It's funny. It's probably another conversation of this again. I think no matter who owns, it's funny. Like people ask me, what's going to happen with Stone and Wood now that it's not independent anymore? And I think it doesn't matter who really owns it. Again, to come back, come back to the again. I think it's got a connection. It's a lifestyle brand, and and that's entrenched in the brand. Like it's a lifestyle connected brand. It it it, it is, you know, an eco warrior brand that people respect. You know. The uh, sustainability and the environment, right? And and I think that never washes away. Yep. It stays. It's like Corona. Corona is a, is a lifestyle connected brand. Bolter is a yep. lifestyle connected yep. brand. Young Henry's is a is a lifestyle connected brand. Rock music. So, you know, I think um, to t- to sort of. But the thing I always grapple with when when you say that is, so at what point does the does lifestyle indie- brand stop? You know, if you go well, 
you know, it's a lifestyle brand. I'm just going to buy that. Yeah. You know, what's your sales pitch for? I should now be drinking Revel Brewing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, beer from Revel. Yeah. Uh, you know, hit, hit, hit me with your you pitch. Hit me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let, let, let's let's bring it back a little bit. And I, and I think before I get to that pitch, I sure. need to I need to reaffirm on, on on probably why why indie matters for me. Mm. And it's probably never that it hasn't mattered to me. Is the good thing about indie beer and and small business. Um, and this is no disrespect to any large-scale business yeah. whatsoever, but the good thing about a small indie business is your, your grassroots, right? You, you get to sort of play the game in all directions. Mm. You're not sh- you're not shackled. You're not bound by by um, um, certain you know, levels of departments, or you know, it's 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 you're very nimble and quick, right? And a small business, you, you get to sort of lay an impact and. What you might do tomorrow. How does that matter to the consumer though? Because again, you, know, like you don't have layers of management and things like that. Mm-hmm. But again, the consumer that's in a bottle shop standing in front of a selection of beers, how does that translate into a compelling offer to a consumer? Yeah, so, so, so instead of, our, instead of sort of what indie matters to me, what it matters to a consumer, mm. I think the consumer is more savvy than they've ever been. So let's think about when, I, when we first met back in the day in the beer game. Mm. People really didn't understand the beer landscape. They, re- they didn't really. They they, See, I still don't think they do. Oh, Honestly, I think, I, think, I think they're a lot savvier than they've ever been. I think uh, you look at the, the social media beer clubs and, and the amount of people. They're not just the industry. They're, they're beer drinkers. Mm. And, you know, some of them are louder than others and in different categories. talking of tens of thousands in a subset of beer drinkers that's, yeah. you know, 10, 12, 15 million. Yeah. No, I think I think people, you know, people do know where beer come. Who who has? I think it's more so than ever. You know, mm-hmm. once oh, it's time, more so than ever. But yeah. it's still, is it a meaningful amount in the broader scheme of things? I think it's definitely changed. Okay, and I think there's scope there for people do know what they're drinking. I think people are a lot more. Social media's helped that. There's there's a lot more outlets to communicate to drinkers than there ever has been. Back in the day, mm. so people have information. They can just Google anything, and it will tell them. Mm. Except I googled a, a fact on, on on what a brewery sold the other day, and it had it completely wrong. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Hopefully, it wasn't on Bruce News that you saw. No, that. no, no. <laughs> uh, um, and I kept asking the same question. And I don't know if, if AI is getting smarter or not, and just oh, repeating the same dumb things we see. But well, AI is <laughs> repeating the same dumb things because yeah. Anyway, um, look, how is it important to, to 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 the drinker? I think it's again, it's. How they connect to that to that brand? Um, what is their connection to it? You know, people w- might believe that uh, an indie beer or craft beer has has a more variety of flavour or, or um, hot, you know, greater hot profile or you know than it would be in some more more mainstream type type beers. And I think people like local. I think people, man, I really think people are a lot smarter and educated on 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 beer and drinking and the industry than they have been before. People know who's local. People know the local brewery. But Stone and Woods local. Stone and Woods local. Yeah. Yeah. So again, and and that's you know we'll start talking about Revel yeah. now yeah. Um, because Revel's local as well. Mm-hmm. And let, let, let's start by talking about your your, your role with Revel. So mm-hmm. you're the, the the national sales manager yep. For, yep. for for Revel, which is is that an aspirational title? Because Revel doesn't currently have a national footprint. Oh, is it your job oh, to make it? I was waiting for you to ask this question, and um, there is there is multiple ways to answer this question, mm. and. Um, let, 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 let's, st- I've already sort of touched on one. So what, wh- what makes a brand, um, national, mm. um, you know, Bolter, Young Henry's, uh, Stone and Wood, 
um, there's something that everyone can connect with nationally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just set to your local area. It's a brand that you can connect with. Um, it's a lifestyle. They're lifestyle brands in some sort of some form or fashion. Uh, and again, yes, it's you know not every brewery, te- and then yes, not every brewery gets the opportunity to be national. And that's the honest truth, mm. right? And that's the landscape we're in. Yep. Uh, we're seeing it buying buying habits of major major account holders on different network channels that they are focusing on local and, and state by state. But if you had to ask yourself, what are the brands that are going national? Well, there's there's all very there's similarities in all of them, right? And I've just listed them before. Um, to ask whether uh, Revel, um, you know, where does Revel stand? In that in that scope, look. When I came on board with Revel in the last twelve weeks, um, we, we we've had to do a lot of, you know, we, we have to do a lot of a lot of different sort of aspects of the business and uh, unpack it and repack it and, and and reinvent a few things. Some things stayed the same. Mm. Um, and for us, one of them that we had to do was we actually withdrew from um, state holding. We we had some third party um, um, companies that we were doing business with as a sales agent. Um, they didn't probably deliver on the promise that they, 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 they were giving. That's another um, sales rule that Ross Juris has taught me is always under under promise and over deliver. <laughs> Thanks, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't, right? They over promised and under delivered. So we were stuck, unfortunately, with um, you know stock in every major uh, Melbourne and Sydney um, that was pushing the boundary of, of best before. Mm. So look, we had to make the hard decision to w- withdraw. And consolidates. That's a hard call for brands to make. We, we we do see it a lot where growth and getting beer in in market is often seen as being more important than how that beer travels through the pipe once it once it gets there. Again, and there's times you're going to have to say no, mm. right? And when's the right time to do the right network? When's the right time to take on the right network or the right region, right? Mm. And it's okay to say no. And it was okay for us to to decide to to withdraw. So, don't get me wrong, Matt. You know we're going back in again, but under dis- different circumstances. Yep. You know we, we we're, we're paving a way and building a plan that we will naturally reseed back into every state. And there's not going to be every brand that we have into the portfolio. We've got to find those hero brands that do resonate and work that people can connect with. So for me, you know, and this is again, I, I, I always. I, I've only worked for one brewery, but I feel like I've worked for multiple breweries because we we've been through yeah, an evolution of a lifetime. Yeah, and we've been through an evolution of where multiple breweries have been before, right? Mm. So for me, I always worry that I say you know, back in the day, back in stone and wood. But you know, I learned a lot, and I was yep. very lucky. And what I learned there as well was, you know, the three boys would always say, "Look after your backyard first, get it right." Um, Jamie Cook used to say, you know, before you think about going to far north Queensland, you know, you, 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 you've you've got to you've got to you got to you got to dot the coastline. You, you know, build your base, build it out, be comfortable where you are, and look. Revel might get to the stage where we are comfortable within Queensland, but I, I think we're we're a bit more advantageous than that. And I think there's an opportunity if we get the right. And not and don't get me wrong, not every brewery can get that right. Um, it's hard work, mm. but if we can get that right, which we're we're doing okay now, and we're heading in the right direction to to really. Um, own our backyard and, and have a great presence within Queensland, you know, there's not many indie breweries out of Brisbane left, right? Mm. There's a lot yeah. opening. Um, but, you know, we've been around for five years, Rebel, and and we're still open. 
Hmm. Um, you know, we, we own all it, we own all our steel. It feels you know? a lot longer than five years. Yeah. Well, this site here will be about a year, year and a half, yeah, okay. eighteen months, and then at a Belimba on Oxford Street would be when it started five yeah. years ago. But yeah. So, mate, I, I'd imagine with your pedigree, your track record, when you decided to leave Stone and Wood, you probably could have had your pick of just about any brewery to, to go to. What was it about Revel that that was attractive to you? For me. Um, I think I, I was pretty, I, as you sort of mentioned, I was pretty keen on getting back into indie, indie beer. And look, don't get me wrong, I thought about changing industries. I thought about doing multiple different things, right? It's a, it's a next path of my career, right? And um, I, and at times I, I almost, you know, I, I could have ended up working for another hotel group. That wasn't off the cards either, right? Mm. Um, I thought about getting back into hospitality. Um, but for me, you know, I, 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 um, I sat back and thought, you know, where are the breweries I'd like to work for? And the, there was only a small handful of breweries with, within the, my backyard that I would, would, would proudly say that I would really love to work for, right? And, and Revel was one of them. And just by chance, and whether it was serendipity or not, an ad had come available um, through Brews News. Of course it did. <laughs> Um, great way to advertise jobs. Sam at brewsnews.com.au if you're interested in advertising your jobs or any other uh, reaching the brewing industry. Anyway, yeah. th- th- thank you for that. Mate. <laughs> well, that's I, where I saw it, right? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to pull my punches, but thank you. <laughs> and I made, a quick, I made a quick few phone calls because everyone, everyone sort of knows everyone. And yep. I said, I, 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 need to, I need to get an interviewing room. I need to, I need to talk to these guys. I need to talk to Jay and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and pitch, pitch, pitch myself and, and, and my ideas and, and essentially what I did is I, I pitched a, um, a three to five year plan to the business. So um, whether whether Jay liked it or not, um, that was my pitch. And he must have liked it because I'm, I'm here today. Yeah. <laughs> now, mate, I, three to five years was also, you know, we're, we're going back. And I'm very conscious of time. This is going to be a – sorry, if if you're on the treadmill, you're going to have a, probably an extra 10-minute And there's so workout. many people I haven't mentioned yet either. <laughs> but there's going to be a, a, at least another 10 minutes of your exercise um, or you're going to – pick this up on the way home um but uh three to five years was the number you mentioned when you sort of said constant reinvent invention for hospitality yeah. venues yeah. and with so many breweries in that three to five year range and it's something we've talked about on the podcast a yeah. bit recently that you know if you close your eyes and picture a brewery it's going to be a warehouse stainless steel at one end ikea stools you know and so many of them look the same yeah. which was very much of their time how much do venues need to look at you know where craft beer hospitality is going. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a really important uh, if you haven't got a business plan and it's not time-based, um, how important that is. Whether it's five, you should be doing, you know, 10-year. But it's having that, you know, and it doesn't always, the, the playbook never stays the same. So you can put it out in front of you and decide this is my journey. But, you know, it's something that you would review every year. Mm. But yes, I think, you know, what, what, what you're right, breweries just can't open up a brewery, a vertically integrated, integrated business and pour beer and, and just have a warehouse feel to it. It's got to be something a lot different than that, right? Mm. It's got to have a bit of theatre. But there are a lot of breweries that are, have been open for that time that yeah. are doing that. And the market, you know, timing is everything, as we've talked about. The market has moved on. Yeah. Um, how important is that breweries just go, well, we were that, but now we need to be this? Yeah, and I think it's probably finding your 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 your, your niche and what you're good at and, and amplifying that. You know, if you had to ask... You know, stomping ground. You know, um, what 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 a great brew house that is. Uh, you know, and I remember, um, you know, 
there was a podcast that did a long time ago and what they wanted to champion was they had to get their burgers right. So they had appreciation for food, right? And, and that was their, you know, their really, really high appreciation for food. And, you know, even Revel itself, you know, Revel at Belimba, um, down there on, on Oxford Street, you know, they're really well known for their pizzas. Great pizzas. A fantastic pizzas. Even to a point where if Jay feels that the business is, if the pizza quality is slipping, they'll bring a, a, a consultant in mm. to bring it back to shape. You know, there's not many businesses that would appreciate that or, or invest in that, right? Mm. So I think it's it's finding your niche or finding what you're good at within the brewery and really amplifying that. You know, here at the Rivermaker Center, you know, we want to be doing a lot of events um, and catering. You know, it's a beautiful site. There's a lot of buildings that can be used for different events. And we just had one recently, uh, Makers on the River. And, and I think it's, you know, we had... 5,000 people from the local community come and celebrate this site. Um, you know, it's those things that you do. I, I think you've got to constantly, um, in your playbook, you can't just open your doors and be a, a brewery, mm. either retail or wholesale. You've always got to have something to talk about and you've always got to have something new. Yep. Now, mate, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to get you to open up your phone because I saw you had some notes in front of you. I'm just going to, I'm just going to make sure that we've uh, crossed off all the things that you're, you're talking points. So uh, here we go. So we've got Bruce News, uh, conscious application of the practice. Then you have an expected GP. Is this stuff? So, mate, talk, talk me through. You want to, uh, so we've got Budvar, we've got Y2. Mate, I, I didn't even intend this. You, you were talking about the Y2K bug. Uh, so you've obviously listened to enough uh, podcasts that you know. Um, what Wait. I was going to ask, because a lot of this, we, we, we've ticked a lot of this Mate, off. This isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> no. and, 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 it's and, your first time on the podcast, and you, you're better prepared than most. <laughs> so, And now I feel like I should have actually been a little bit more challenging my questions. Well, I thought, you were, I thought your questions are pretty good. There's some there I hadn't thought about. So, uh, what, are you, what are you missing? Mate, what do you want to talk about? Uh, Gibbo and Marco Nunes. Yeah, look, that, that was a. F- I'm glad you brought that up. And, and <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm glad you prompted me. So, uh, so that, what's, the, what's the story there? That, so, uh, as you've learned, uh, you know, for me, Hugh Doyle, there's, there, there's beer, there's breweries, there's hospitality. I love it all, right? And I think I said to you at some stage, I want to get back into hospitality. And I think I will. You know, I have visions of me being 50, 60, half retired with some bar on the beach, right? Uh, that, that would make me very happy. Um, and for me, you know, I do a lot of – I moonlight a lot. So I do festivals. I mm-hmm. work at Splendor in the Grass and I run the champagne tent there. And, you know, there was an evolution of stone and wood where um, I, 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 I decided to tip my toes into hospitality consultant consultancy. And uh, I'd met with Brett Gibson, um, who's part of the Trifford and um, Fortitude Musical, mm-hmm. um, uh, Marco Nunez. And we sort of got together on pitching ideas to hoteliers um, um, on concepts that we might want to bring to life and we would help deliver the, the project, um, sell the IP and then, you know, move on to the next project. And it was great. We did a couple of mini projects and then we ran into, we, we sort of crossed paths with uh, a designer, Alexa Nice, um, where we, uh, we, got, we got given an opportunity to, and it was one of the greatest things I can remember I, I, I've done in my, my career is um, you'd all be familiar with the the yacht, the boat, the yacht, Y-O-T. It's a boat that floats on the Brisbane River. Oh, it's yeah. like a tri, it's okay. like a tri catamaran. Looks yep. like a UFO. Okay. And it's basically a hotel on, on, on a, a boat. A party boat. Yeah. And um, we, we, we were given the task of designing the food and beverage operations on that boat and designing the boat. Now, I've been involved in opening pubs, renovating pubs, but I've never had to weigh everything that goes into a pub 
and think about buoyancy. Okay. So it was great, right? So we had to weigh everything, come up with concepts and how this boat was self-sufficient, less glass, less cans, just everything we did, you know, and we had to convince them to cut the middle part of the catamaran in half to build a cold room to fit all the kegs, central weight of the boat, right? Okay. So we had a big draft system. So, you know, it, it, and it was little projects that, like that that also, you know, that I enjoy. And that, yeah, that was on my notes. It was, <laughs> it was part of my past journey. Oh, man, I thought I was going to come up with something that I was going to be able to handball to you, but apparently I've handballed the whole uh, interview to you because no, you're yeah. pretty much well prepared. But there's, okay, a, I'll, I'll get you to read out the last line uh, in your notes because you know that what? sounds like something that I was going to uh, finish on anyway. Yeah, because you, you, I, I was waiting for you to ask that question. And um, you kind of asked it before, what do you need to do differently? And, and, and what does the industry need to do differently now? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's pretty simple. And I will read the words exactly yeah, from I my don't. notes. It says, if you um, don't, I will. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, I will. All right. Elevating the experience, no more time for amateurs. Hmm. And I think we're at a point in our industry, and especially in, in brew pubs, breweries, hmm. that there, there is unfortunately no time for amateurs. It's not all fun and games, it's not the rock star, you know grow a beard and let's, um, you know, I've got a beard myself, but, you know, it's not all about bells and whistles and, and getting to the next beer event, brewery event. And it's, it's hard work. Mm. Um, you know, we've had to withdraw stock from New South Wales and, and, and um, Victoria. We're going to go back, but that's a hard decision to make, mm. right? And I think, you know, as if we all start taking ourselves more seriously, still have fun, but it's, we're in for a bit of a, a hard time, you know. I think you had Nick Boots on your podcast a while back mm. talking about it. And again, he sort of reiterated, it's okay sometimes to say no. You know, it's, um, yeah, we, we have to be more strategic on, on, on our moves, on our distribution networks, our deals, the whole lot. Like it's, 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 and, and, and if you're not, if you, if you're not elevating your experience, your hospitality experience and, 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 your, and that doesn't have to make it pretentious or wanky, you just no. go back to the gastro pub experience. It's well, just looking at the details. Well, it could be elevating your wholesale details. Yeah, retail, it could be also your wholesale experience, mm. like, you know, your beer club, you know, yeah. elevating your, you had to get your punters from who are drinking your beer into your brew pub. It's the whole experience, right? The Omni experience. So, you know, that has to be elevated and it has to come with some sort of pizzazz. It's mm. got to be something unforgettable, right? And then, no more time for amateurs is, you know, you, don't get me wrong, it's okay to be an amateur, everyone learns, but I think it's time that you learn and and we all step up together, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think I've uh, squeezed the you know, a fair bit of juice out of this uh, the, 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 this orange. A, a lot of value for for, for people that are listening. So uh, I'll, I'll give you a free kick uh, on on Revel. Um, you guys won a trophy at the recent AIBAs, which was a huge, um, you know, bump for for, mm -hmm. for, for the brewery and a, a swag of medals as well. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about, yeah, um, what we talked about what was attractive to you and what you you, you saw the yeah, potential I, for the brewery look, was. But what are they what are they doing well now? I've been here twelve weeks and I, and I can tell you that the brewery is 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 excellent. We're we're we're, we're very lucky to have a um a great team, um, retail and wholesale, um, and and and, our, and you know the, our brewer Matt Cuthbert is one of the greatest brewers around and, and, and everyone claims they're the greatest brewer and they have the greatest brewer, but, but Matt is really great at what he does. And, 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 and Jay and, and, and the shareholders of this business, um, they too have driven this business to a point of five years. Whereas I said before, it's still here and it's, and it's proud, right? Um, for us winning that medal, uh, at the, at the AIBAs is pretty great. Um, you know, I, I try and relate to people what that medal is, who aren't in the beer game, what it relates to. And I said, it's like the Oscars or beer, the AIBAs. It's, you know, it's not just your, 
your flash pan award. It's beers from all over the world and Australia and not, up, up against I, each other. I in all, we talked in all, about in all this demogra- on, on the podcast last week. You know, not not to sneer at anyone who wins a bronze or a silver or anything like that, because that is a good benchmark. Yeah. It's good feedback to a brewer about how they're going on a on a beer entered in the category and that sort of thing. But when you're talking about winning stuff, the trophies are when you re- you know golds and trophies are when you're really starting to talk about winning stuff at, at the awards and that's yeah. you know a, a trophy is is serious yeah so we, we won the champion um mid-strength beer award essentially we, we won the gold in in draft in can and you know without naming the beers that we we we, we, we were awarded over and and again yes it's great to be bronze and silver but there's consistency a golden packaged Correct. and uh, draft that's consistency and that warrants you to be the champion champion brew in that category and for us you know i, I sort of ha- i sort of have the slogan, you know, uh, Revel Brewing awarded over uh, Australian pub classics, and we were right. I don't need to name them because you can go and look at the awards list yourself if you want to. Um, Melbourne AIBA Awards mm. on Google, uh, and for us, you know, that's that's pretty proud. That's a proud moment for for a brewery like this. So yeah, the Reveler pulled over that award, and 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 we probably need to be shouting shouting it a bit more and and telling a few more people. So you know, we're out armed in the sales field. You know, all talking about Reveler, <laughs> Reveler this month. But, you know, that's not all we've got. You know, we've got some – you heard me talk about sort of creating those hero beers. You know, we're coming out with a new beer in the next 12 weeks. We've previously released it on draft already. And and hold yourself. It was actually created before I came to the brewery at Revel. It's called Pacific Haze. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't create it. It was already I've here. It. And it's it's distinct from Pacific Ale, but it's, you know, Very- Pacific – you know, unfortunately, uh, Stonewood lost the uh, Pacific uh, trademark. but. Yeah. It's now everywhere, but it's well, still it's a very distinct right? beer. And, it's and, and a very distinct style of beer, Pacific mm. Ale. or It's a summer ale style beer. And everyone's but yours is a twist ale. distinct again from Pacific Ale. We really wanted to make sure it was very different to Pacific Ale because, you know, that they do a great job of it. Why, 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 why repeat it? So ours is very different, a different hot profile. And, um, you know, it's got four hot profiles through it. Nectaron uh, is one, one probably more hop forward with um, a few other hops as well. Galaxy's in there as well. But, guys, what it does, it gives it that sort of fruit uh mandarin sort of flavor rather than a um a, a passion fruit flavor and and isn't isn't too heavy on a subtle haze i guess we'd call it and we're excited now last thing w- with your background in hospitality i know you're the national sales manager but are you involved in the you, you know do you take any um or have any involvement in the hospitality side of the business because revel is very much a part of uh Blimba, which is a sort of inner city riverside suburb mm-hmm. in in brisbane for those who don't know very much a part of the community um you know uh, it, it's one of those family venues dogs children yeah. um all then you've got the River Makers where we're recording, yep. which is uh, a little bit further out, part of a big heritage uh, precinct. Again, yep. I'm trying to paint a word picture. Um, beautiful old building, very different hospitality offer than than the other one. Are you going to be involved in that in in your current role? So the guys have got uh, a hospitality arm, food and beverage arm that look after okay. that side of the business. And I think I sort of touched on it before. So invertly, no, I, I you know I've got I've got my own bag of tricks I need to, I need to play with and, and, and deal with. Uh, but for me, you know, I think what's important for a, a retail offering for a brewery is that it has to complement what's going on in wholesale. So what I do in wholesale reflects what happens in retail and mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it's natural that we'd come together and help each other. That's something that I guess that I'm always open, open for and have been in my whole career is it, 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 someone else is in charge, but it's okay to, it's okay to support. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I think if you have a brewery, your your sales model and your wholesale model and retail model, they have to work together. They can't be treated as a, a separate entity. Yeah. Mate, this has already been one of the longest periods of conversations. And <laughs> I, I, I was bored. We'll, we'll have to get you on. A, have to get you on again. But uh, anytime. They say I've got a good face for radio. I, I, I think we've checked everything off on 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 your. Yeah. Listeners, I honestly hadn't seen. I could just see that you was looking at uh, his, his notes. Uh, I'm just glad you, you you pulled up that last point. Elevating elevating the experience and no more time for amateurs. <laughs> Should put it on a t-shirt. I would have brought up <laughs> Hugh Doyle. Thanks for this conversation. Thank you, Matt. And that was Hugh Doyle. If you like this conversation and would like to make sure that we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, you can help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think that we're the most targeted way to do that. Now more than ever, communicating with the brewing industry is important to your business. And we have the conversations that the industry listens to. And we can put your message in front of the industry as well. If you'd like to learn more, shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise. You're also aware of our Facebook group. You can sponsor the show and you can review us on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you're a Spotify listener, you can do that on Spotify now as well. And we'll be sharing some of our recent reviews on the upcoming news podcast, which will be landing in your inboxes this Friday. Thanks for joining us.